What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 106. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, Paul? I'm very well. How's yourself? I am good. I have, I have freshly shaved my head, which I, I always feel very easy breezy after I do that. You know, I, <laughs> our, our listeners will know I'm a, I'm a balding man. I have been since I was about 12. And <laughs> it's true. It's terrible. When I was 17, a woman once tried to sell me a credit card. And I said, how old do you think I am? And she said, 30? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you there because I've, I've been balder longer than I had hair. Yeah, that, um, I, right at, at this point, I'm exactly in the same place. So yeah, you are, we are part of a, a very, we'll say a very manly club and not at all a very sad one. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a two, two shave a week guy. I'm very lazy. I'll let mine grow for a while and then just... When it starts kind of coming out on the side and I start looking like, like someone's really unhappy dad, <laughs> when the fryer tuck starts setting in, that's when it's like, okay, yeah, we're done. <laughs> I did a Q&A for our, our Instagram uh, followers the other day. Uh, I think it was last, or night before last. Mm. And I did all the answers on video. And of course, I, uh, I was looking at the videos afterwards and I thought, Jesus fucking Christ, it's time to cut my hair. Okay. <laughs> So I, today I busted out the razor, but in doing so, and, and I actually went all the way down to the wood today. I actually got out the, the shaving butter and, and got it all the way down to the, mm. to the skin. But, um, I was remembering another time I did that. And, uh, before I tell the story, I should say we've got a, a wonderful grab bag of stories to share with people today. Some, some fantastic stuff that actually v- veers back into doppelganger territory, which I, I wasn't expecting. Mm. It was a, a complete fluke, but we have a, a surprisingly doppelganger heavy show ahead after my ridiculous anecdote here. As I said, it reminded me of, of another time I shaved my head right down to the scalp and it was before I went on a road trip. And what I used to do is I, I would take these two or three week road trips and I would just go and kind of meet people and collect stories and all this shit. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's what I would do. And I would always shave before I left and then I wouldn't shave at all until I got home. Hmm. And it was just sort of a personal challenge. I don't know. I, I do dumb things, Paul. Yes. Yeah. Here we go. You understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I carry a member of that club? There you go. Yeah. See, this is why we get along. Mm. But, uh, so I went on this trip and I ended up in John Day, Oregon. John Day, Oregon is a little tiny town in Eastern Oregon state. And it is, uh, well, it's there. It exists. It's, it's mm. not a lovely place. I'm sorry. And if, if you're from John Day and you're listening, I apologize. It was not a, 
not a lovely place, but I stayed the night there and that evening I went out to go have some food and on the way into the town, it was, it seemed like this kind of bucolic American small town. There were some signs in the windows welcoming troops home. They'd obviously been off in Afghanistan. There were literal yellow ribbons tied around trees. But then as I left my motel to go get some food, the sun was setting and bathing everything in this sickly pink light. And it was then I noticed in the window of a shop I was passing a sign that read, we believe all people are created equal, neo-Nazi apparel and visible (laughs) tattoos will not be allowed to enter. And I thought, hmm, okay, so this is an issue here. And then I turned around and there was a scrawny young man on a bicycle much too small for him with an enormous swastika tattoo on his shoulder, just cycling past me. And his head was, of course, shaved right down to the skin. And I thought, boy, I, I picked the wrong time to shave my head. Yes. <laughs> and you, you just went back into the office for the first time in a year. Yes. Yeah. All new novelty. It was just one of those. I thought I'd best try and um, learn how to speak to people in real life again. Oh, boo, boo. How was that? It was, it was surprisingly pleasant. I drank too much coffee as usual, but um, <laughs> and, uh, my hands are very luxuriously uh, antibacterialized as they would be. Um, but yeah, it was nice to actually get out and about, but it was, it's strange being in the real world after you've been working out of your office at home for the best part of 12 months because it is exactly a year tomorrow oh this would have you know when this comes out it would have been just over a year since we were told to leave the office and we'll all all see you soon yeah that turned out well famous last words hey i know it's it's weird i mean you and i were talking off air about the number of businesses in our down respective downtown cores that are just not there anymore yeah absolutely they seem to have um because i've not been anywhere in that side of, of of where I live in Sheffield either. I haven't been aware of what's been going on, and and because of these waves that we've had here in the UK, I've basically kept away from anything where people would congregate. So I've I, I when I walked, I I made sure I took a detour through through the city centre today. So yeah, it's it's quite sad, and it's going to be interesting to see what actually comes back and and what goes. So fingers crossed, as many businesses as possible come through, primarily for for the for the sakes of everybody i think 100% i know i'm as i mentioned to you i was down at the circle k at the end of my block the other day uh grabbing a soda oh, this is probably a couple of weeks ago now but i was grabbing a soda and i realized out of nowhere that the laundromat was gone and i have no idea how long it's been gone but that that's where i would go to do you know sometimes we have like blankets that are too big for the shitty machines in our building so i would i would take them down there and it's just gone now i have no idea where any of those people are they're mm. just gone. And, and I guess that's going to be the nature of this thing. Mm. Yep. So again, yeah, hopefully we all, we all make it through with as uh, little scarring as possible. Mm. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll bring it up, a, bring it up a, a notch here. Yes. Because <laughs> that was, you know, it's characteristically cheery for us. As I mentioned on this episode, we're going to be telling some fantastic stories. It's going to be a hybrid episode, combination of found stories and listener stories. And we're going to move things around a little bit. Ordinarily, we thank our patrons at the very end in the C segment. And what I decided is that um, because the shows have gotten so long lately, which our listeners seem to really love, and and that makes me really happy. The episode with Kevin was an hour and 55 minutes, and I nearly nearly crapped my pants when when I finished the edit and saw that. I do apologize. I just like to talk. 
I know it's all your fault. Absolutely. Let's all blame Paul. Point at him. Boo. Boo, Bestel. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I think that reverts back to my earlier point about actually going to speak to real people outside. <laughs> well, no, don't don't speak to them too much. We got we got to keep this train of moving here, Bestel. Okay, okay. I promise I'll save some for you. I'm not sure if I'm crazy about how you phrase that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just see what I've got cooking. No, well, that's worse. Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so again, episodes are getting longer. And I thought, you know what? I don't want you guys to have to wait to hear your shout outs. I don't want you to have to wait till the end of the show. I want you to hear them right away. So from now on, at the top of the show, we're going to be thanking our new patrons. And we're not going to do the whole patron spiel. That will be saved for the C segment still. But I just want to throw it out there and thank our new patrons right away here, going here uh, from here on out. Just because, again, you guys, you are what makes this possible. What you give us is the budget that allows the show to continue because the show is actually quite expensive to produce now with all the different things we do and you make it all possible. So we're going to take a quick minute to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. All right. This time around, we'd like to thank Isla Salaka. Davey. Aaron Hodgson. Linda Black. Cindine Pizel. G. Cole. And Emily Carroll. Thank you so, so much, guys. And if you want to find out how to become part of the team, stick around to the end of the show and we'll tell you how. Finally, before we head off and take a quick break, we have a musical guest, Paul. We actually have a return of the musical guest uh, segment program, whatever the hell you want to call it. And I'm really excited about it. Hooray. Hooray is right. This is something I'd kind of, I was going to wait until we started doing mini shows again. And then for various reasons we won't get into here, you know, we decided that's just not something we're going to do right now. So it's back in the main show. And I think it's a hell of a lot more fun. And our musical guest this time around is Faustbot. Faustbot is a group out of Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. And they describe themselves as a synth punk new wave project designed to bridge the gap between technology, politics, and the occult. The album is called Synthetic Noise. And since we were contacted by Faustbot, I've really been hooked on this record. It's got kind of a punky take on a wall of voodoo sound. So if if you guys are into any kind of sort of 80s new wave, you'll have an idea of what I'm talking about. It is really, really good. It's very angry, which I like. It's it's an unabashedly political record. And I respect anyone willing to take a swing like that. So the the track we're going to be sharing on this episode is called Masks Off. And if you like the sound of the song, make sure to check out the full record. You can find it at Faustbot, F-A-U-S-T, bot, dot bandcamp.com. And if you are a patron, we will be giving away four free copies of the record for our patrons. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. As we said before the break, this episode is going to be a grab bag of stories that runs the gamut from listener stories about ghostly farm workers to, again, an unsettling detour through doppelganger country and a whole bunch more. But before we get to that, we've got some listener mail we want to talk about. But, but even before that, you mentioned something that was a bit of a, a, bit of a milestone. And uh, I thought, thought we'd talk about that very briefly here because it actually relates to an old episode we did as well. Yes. So... Ronald DeFeo, 
infamous murderer of his family in the notorious Amityville house passed away this week. And it's one of those that I'd kind of forgotten he was still incarcerated because obviously he's been in prison for the best part of 46 years, I think. Yeah, I think it was uh, 1974 Mm. that the murder happened. So that's got to be what, that's 30, my wife will hate me for doing this, but uh, (laughs) 40, 48, seven years? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's responsible for a lot, but I mean, it's even even the the original case because obviously Amity Villains become notorious for a variety of reasons afterwards. Um, but even the murder is a very peculiar situation because obviously he claimed it was a, a gangland hit because I think his mum's father was well uh, well connected in the in the local mafia. Something like that, yeah. And obviously his father, his mother, and his brothers and sisters were all found shot in their beds. And obviously the strangest thing about this is that not one of them woke up, even while this was all going on. Defoe was the only person ever charged with the murder, regardless of his ever-changing alibi, right. shall we say? Because I think he's given six different versions to what actually happened that night, um, including inventing a, 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 a pretend mate and um, claiming to have been married and living somewhere else and turning up at the house by accident and blaming his sister and a random man and all kinds of crazy stuff, as well as the gangland hit. Right. But none of them woke up, so all six were shot with a rifle. Um, None of the neighbours recorded or remembered hearing anything that happened that night. Nobody heard any shots, even people that were up at 3am when it apparently happened. Sorry, just to jump in, that is wild to me because as someone who's fired shotguns, that is Mm. not a subtle noise. One might say it carries. Yeah. So for for the neighbors in in a quiet suburban neighborhood to not hear anything is crazy. Because they could hear the dog barking. Okay, so they could hear the dog, but not the shots. Yeah. So after Defoe was eventually charged, because, you know, like I say, he came out with this gangland hit and within, I think, two days, he'd, he'd basically crumbled under <laughs> interrogation by the police and changed and said, yeah, actually, I, I, I've killed them all. He still never kind of said why he did it. Um, obviously, he claimed that the devil told him to do it, right. but that was him just trying to get um, an insanity plea. Of course, yeah. And that story changed. And then obviously the the whole Amityville legend took off about 13 months later when the um, Lutz family arrived. Right. And from there spawned an, literally an entire industry. <laughs> 12 sequels, I think there is now? I think it's actually more. I, I, I was reading a think piece on this. I want to say there's up to like 17 Amityville-related projects now. <laughs> I've got a copy of one that was, the one's got Bella Thorne in it. Google was literally just giving it away as a free download. Oh. And so I watched it because I'm a whore for free stuff. But yeah. man, it is well, it's bad, Paul. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I remember watching the first one. The first one was 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 quite frightening as a as a standalone horror film. Sure. And, and the book is obviously terrifying when you're 11. Yeah, as as most <laughs> fiction is. Well, yeah. I mean, this is the thing about Amityville is regardless of what people say, what people have to remember is that it was proven in a court of law in 1979 to have been an elaborate hoax. There is there is no ifs, no buts, no maybes. It was proven in court to be a hoax. Simple as. Yeah. You know, that's before you start pulling the evidence 
apart like, you know, famously the devil's hoof prints in the garden in the snow, only it never snowed in the area on the night it was supposed to have been found. That's how you know it's Satan. He cleaned up after himself. <laughs> He's like those guys in John Wick who, you know, wrap dead bodies up in plastic, except he does it with snow. All the locks and windows and door frames were smashed to pieces, which was news to the people that bought the house because there was no damage at all oh, to anything. Boy. The mysterious red room, which was actually just a closet. We've all been there. You know, yeah, haven't we all? Yeah, a little bit, little bit high, a little bit stoned, and things start looking <laughs> a little different than they should. I mean, my, my cousin, a <laughs> long time ago, went to a punk show in Vancouver, and, and they, got, eh, they got a little stony during the show. And then afterwards, they went to the Denny's that used to be around the corner, and they kept describing it as bizarro Denny's. They said there was smoke, and it was like a club. And I went, I've been to that Denny's, Paul. It does not look like that. And I said, I think you were just high. Mm, and some, uh, if, if, some good stuff. I'll say, right? Anything that can turn a Denny's into something worth, like, worth remembering that's not a shooting or some kind of other assault, I think is really, really an achievement. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the most damning things that everybody else, it never seems to get mentioned this part of it either. I mean, well, there are two things. One is obviously throughout this 28-day period where they were terrified, they never once called the police at all, ever, regardless of what they've said in the books and the films. Police were never called. There's no record of the police ever attending the house whatsoever. Interesting. And the day after they left the house, they came back and had a garage sale. <laughs> So, you know, make of it what you will. I mean, it's a fantastic story. And like I say, the, Jay Anson's book is, is a fabulously scary work of fiction. But I think that's all it is. And it's just one of those things that this day and age, when there are so many better scary stories about real haunted houses, I, I, I still am baffled that Amityville continues to reappear every few years. And people go, oh, it's... America's most haunted house. There's absolutely no evidence that any of it happened. Nothing at all. No, nonsense like uh, that is why I'm bald, Paul. It, it just, my hair just falls out in despair. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, I mean, I could carry on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah. The thing about this that I often find quite distasteful is at the end of the day, you had a horrific murder of a family who were asleep in their beds. And I think the the fantasy version of Amityville takes away from those people and and their untimely death. And I think people should remember the awful crime that preceded any of the nonsense that came after it and remember the real victims of Amityville, which were, unfortunately, the the Defoe family. Yeah, I and I think that's a, a wonderful point. And I, I don't think there's any there's any better way to, to end that conversation to, than reminding people that real people died and this isn't, uh, yeah, this isn't a story. Exactly. All right. Well, again, from yet another cheery note, Paul's really, <laughs> Paul's really knocking up dead today. No pun intended. <laughs> Something else we're going to move from the C segment up to this part of the show is a listener mail and our ghost line calls. And we're not going to play all our ghost line calls or read all our email, but just we want to acknowledge you guys for reaching out. And uh, we're going to play one call and then read a couple notes that you have sent in. And we are going to play one New ghost line call uh, right now. Hi, Brennan. First of all, I want to say I love your podcast. Thank you for doing the work. Um, I have a few stories. I'm a school teacher, and I have several stories from students that they've just volunteered to me that line up really well with things that you've gone over in your podcast. 
So the first to line up with a project I gave, I wanted them to draw a memory. It was a really simple prompt. I teach 10 to 12-year-olds, and like out of 130 students, most of them did like a super normal memory, but two of them did two things that are like really interesting. The first one, little girl, she drew herself like sitting up in bed. She looks scared. Normal bedroom details like toy train on the floor, book on the floor. But there's like a shadow in the corner of the room, and it's wearing a hat. I asked her about it, and she basically just described what I described. She was like, I don't know. I just kept on seeing the shadow in my room where we used to live. He would always be staring at me. And she did say he, which I think is interesting. Like, like I guess people assume things are he's most of the time. But anyway, the other one, she drew a picture of herself again in bed, like normal bedroom details in the picture. But she drew herself next to the bed staring at herself. And I asked her about it, and she was like, once I woke up and I just saw me staring at me. The other one from a student, he's a little cutie patootie, and he just kept yawning today. He's usually really energetic. And I was like, hey, buddy, why are you so tired? And he was like, I just, I keep waking up at like three because I feel someone staring at me. And he kind of got super shy after he like said it out loud. But I thought the fact that it was three was weird. The last one, I'll try and tell quickly, it was from a janitor. I asked her if she was scared when she has to clean in here at night. It's dark, like nobody else is in here because I work late at night sometimes and I get scared. And she was like, no, like there's a rational explanation for everything. She's like this really ancient lady. And she was like, but once I had a dream that I was cleaning out the locker rooms. There was like mud everywhere and I could hear this little girl screaming and crying. And the next day I went into work and my manager at the time was like, dude, I had a crazy dream. And he had the exact same dream that she did about the mud and the girl screaming. Anyway, that's it. Once again, love the podcast. Bye. Oof. This is why I don't have kids, Paul. I don't have to hear these stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those professions that uh, you think being a teacher is just dealing with kids being crazy in class, never mind what they're doing out of class. Oh, man. So thank you so, so much for that call. And again, if you want to call the ghost line, one 588 6920 or you can text at 925-553-4789. As I said, we have a couple little, uh, little notes we're going to read here. And the first one is from David. David says, Brennan and Paul, of course I miss the feel of the old show, but just a few episodes into the new, and I'm really digging it. You two seem to get on quite well. I guess I just wanted to say thank you for doing the show. To all the people behind the scenes, thank you too. P.S. One thing that makes it an awesome show is that it's not flashy, no crazy sound design or dramatization. I appreciate that. Cheers, David. David, thank you very much, man. And I appreciate that you say that. You know, we've had a few people get in touch and say that, uh, you know, they miss the old show, but they appreciate the new show. And that's okay. It's totally okay. You know, I, I understand that very much. And some people will apologize when they say that, and that's not necessary. I, I get it. I get it. I just, we both appreciate that you're listening and, uh, and that you're right in. It's really nice to hear those things. It's really nice to know you're out there and that you're enjoying what we do. So this one's from Millie and it just says, hi, love your podcast along with be scared and let's read. It's one of my favorites. Thank you, Millie. That's really cool. I actually don't know be scared or let's read, but, uh, I'm happy that we're numbered among your favorites. Yeah. I think I'm going to investigate those two because I don't know them either. Absolutely. Yeah. Next up is from Courtney. Courtney says, so last year I got really into a band called Proto Martyr. That sounds pretty badass. 
Hmm. They do a song called Windsor Hum. Looked it up and it turns out that the song is inspired by a phenomenon called the Windsor Hum. Said hum had for a long time been negatively affecting citizens of Windsor, Canada. Many thought it was coming down from Detroit, but it remained a mystery for a minute. Detroit not wanting to own up to it. Turns out their suspicions were right. And Courtney linked us to an article on NPR, uh, which was from August last year, and it links the hum, which had recently stopped, to the cessation of operations at a steel plant on Zug Island, which is nearby. Courtney goes on to say, I suspected, before it was found out, that water had a large part to do with it, amplifying and serving as a conduit. I'd be curious whether a large body of water is near most or all humming sites. Yeah, could very well be. And, and thank you for sending that in, Courtney. If you want to hear more of someone from the Windsor area, including haunting in Windsor, we had Nick Nedden from the Flower Hour podcast on a couple pieces of patron content. We had him on an episode of Largely the Truth, which is the patron music show we do. And that was actually really cool because he also answered some of our patrons' questions about the cannabis industry because he's a quality assurance guy for a licensed producer of cannabis. So that was a really cool conversation. And then in an episode of Sunken Library, Nick talked about some hauntings in and around Windsor. So if that's your jam, patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have a message from Ryan and Ryan says, I'm typing this email as I listen to episode 105 and I started to think about the journey that we, I say we because I've been listening to you from the beginning. Your podcast was the first one I found when I started to get into podcasts. I always enjoyed the banter that you and Ian had and felt the two of you had great on-air chemistry, but I just wanted to let you know that as of recently, things have taken a turn for the better. I feel as if there is a new energy and I can hear the excitement in your voice that has been missing for some time. Whether you keep with a guest host or not, I think you have had a great thing going and I will be a forever listener. Just to tell you a little about what the podcast means to me, I have always felt a connection to the paranormal but was deeply involved with a Baptist church that denied the existence of anything other than God, angels, the devil, and demons. The podcast has given me an outlet to learn and study about what I have always sensed. You have helped me understand that even though I have never seen an apparition, I can see things in my mind's eye that make so much sense. I had no idea why I would have a picture flash in my brain, but now I have a better understanding. I was struggling with my religion, sexuality, and the general course of my life, and the podcast brought me laughter and insight in some very dark days. I just wanted to say thank you for all the hard work and dedication that you put into each and every episode. It does not go unnoticed. Please thank the team for me and all the research and insight and knowledge they bring as well. I will be a forever listener and friend to the show. And Ryan, again, thank you so, so much, man. That, that, that's, that's wonderful. Again, it, it's wonderful that you've been listening. It's wonderful that you continue to listen. And I consider it a, a privilege to have been a part of your life and, and a positive part of your life in a time when you needed that influence. So thank you for, for listening, for sticking with us from me and from Luke and Sarah and Anthony and my, my bald compatriot here on the call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm always, I'm always humbled when I get anybody saying that they enjoy anything I do either on, on this show or mine. So I'm, I'm you know, always taken back and it, and it means a lot because, uh, um, you know, I tend to ramble on about all kinds of nonsense, so I'm glad somebody's found something worthwhile. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I let you get away with saying you ramble on about nonsense, but it, it is not at all nonsense. It is very valuable stuff because I <laughs> I always learn something from uh, from you, Paul. So, uh, no, I, I am not going to let you get away with that. It is not nonsense. It is valuable insight. Okay, thank you. Furious positivity. <laughs> all right, and we have a really, really wonderful email from Minardo, and Minardo p- provides some insight about... Uh, brujos and brujas and their place in Mexican culture. It's quite lengthy. So what we're going to do is I'm probably going to record that separately for patrons. But because we have a, a story coming up which involves similar phenomenon, I just want to mention something, the part, in the, the part in the email where Minardo says something about, about balls of light. And he is, of course, he's speaking about brujas here. And he says, 
There are three primary forms we believe them to take outside of their human form. They can become a guajolote, they can become a lechuza, a barn owl, and they can become a ball of fire slash light, but mostly it's believed to be fire. It is not unheard of for people in small town and homesteads farther out in wilderness to see one or a couple balls of fire moving across the sky. The best thing to do is not be out in the night when you see them because you could fall victim to the brujas. So keep that in mind as we go forward because there is a story coming up to which that will be relevant. Speaking of which, it's time for the stories. Night of the Pig And just a heads up, there are some disturbing images ahead, uh, including a description of injury to an animal. When we were kids, Halloween wasn't really a big deal. My parents would rent some lightly scary movies for us, but they were so risk-averse, there was no way they'd let us go trick-or-treating. When we asked about getting costumes and going out, Dad would always say, the only outfit you should be buying for a single occasion is a suit or a wedding dress. And so Halloween was spent indoors, and uneventfully. To set the scene, I was nine years old, and Halloween had come in all its autumn finery. All day we had been watching horror movies with Mom and Dad, kid-friendly ones of course, except for The Monster Squad, which they felt was borderline, but remains one of my favorites. That's a pretty great movie. As night came on, I got tired of sitting in front of the television and decided to do some sketching. Ever since I was old enough to hold a pen, I've loved to make art, so to do this at nine wasn't at all unusual for me. I rose from the sofa and headed for my bedroom and my sketchbook. Inside my room, the lights were off and the window open, and as I turned toward the light switch, it was through that open window I saw the pig. It was a head only, arm's length away from the pane, and it was mangled in a fashion I can only describe as horrifying. The snout was torn, the left eye gouged out, and the ears torn away. Its remaining eye glowed red as it held my gaze, and I stood there, frozen in fear. Seconds passed like minutes, and then it was gone. It never returned, but I couldn't forget the image, and as I got older, I began to search for other cases like mine. The Amityville haunting, hey, synchronicity, was the first and most famous example, since the young boy in that story claims to have seen a bodiless pig outside his window. The problem with this was that the Lutz family was revealed to have made up most of their story. I'd say all of their story. So I was conflicted in my belief and kept searching. It wasn't until the last few years I found someone else who shared my experience that I felt was truly believable, and they were the people who used to live in our house. It turns out that the father had also seen the brutalized pig outside his window and never understood what it was or where it came from. But at least I know I'm not alone. And that's something. And I guess at that point, that's about all you can hope for. Yeah. I think animal encounters or, or disembodied animal images are always more disturbing, I think. What, uh, what do you think makes it that way? Because I think a lot of people were, were, were quite predisposed to, to presume that all ghosts are people. Um, right. So I think whenever you get an interaction with something that looks like an animal, then you open up a whole different range of possibilities because primarily the, you know, ghosts come back because maybe they're lovelorn or that they miss the place that they died in or they, they have a mission that they still need to complete or whatever. And yet... You can't prescribe any of that to an animal coming back, surely. 
Right. I, I mean, at least based on the way we currently regard animals. Absolutely, yeah. So it's yeah. an interesting thing because then you you open up the realms of possibility of why would an animal want to come back? What is the parameters that that's working on? I want to see a, a version of the crow where it's actually a crow. <laughs> just, oh, just, just pecking the shit out of people. Yeah, and he has to protect Brandon Lee. <laughs> it's like an episode of Quantum Leap. <laughs> And uh, Paul and I actually had a really great conversation on this topic on uh, one of our patron-only sunken library episodes. It was the, um, I think it was the uh, the strange case of Martin Tristram. We told yes. a story from this book, uh, this 1913 book called Animal Ghosts, and it turned into a whole conversation about yeah about the nature of consciousness and animals. And uh, yeah, if you if you want to hear more of that, Patreon.com/slash Ghost Story Guys. It was a really great chat. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The Aswang. From the time we were teenagers, my sister and I believed that there was something strange happening in our family home. It was hard to pin down exactly. But because of our parents' work schedule, we were home alone together a lot and felt watched. To feel safe and to fill the silence, whenever we would separate to move around the house, we'd call out to each other, saying what we were doing and where. This might not make much sense to you, but to us, it felt completely necessary. After a time, our neighbours began to notice we were home alone more often than not, and one of them came over to speak with us. They told us it was possible that at some point when we were home alone, someone we didn't recognise, or maybe even someone we did, would knock on our door and ask us to let them in. Our neighbour looked at both my sister and I with complete sincerity and said, No matter what, do not open the door. If anyone is likely to stop by unannounced, set up a code phrase with them beforehand, because there is a chance that is an aswang or shapeshifter. When I told this to mum and dad, They didn't question me, but instead went over to thank our neighbours, and then set up a code phrase with the family who were likely to pop in. Thanks to this, we were prepared for the night it came. Before the Aswang came, it was like any other night. I was cooking dinner, and my sister was watching a K-drama whilst folding laundry. After dinner, we prepped for school the next day, and then to our tent in the living room. Yes, a tent. We didn't want to sleep separately, so we had created a covered area in the living room, using the sofa as a support. Bedtime came and went uneventfully, and we slept soundly until 11pm. It was three quick knocks on the door that roused me from sleep, and after realising the time, I froze in place. My sister and our cats were still asleep as the knocking repeated. When no one answered the front door, the knocking began to come from the back and I started to worry that the Aswang would somehow force its way inside. Eventually, the rear knocking stopped as well, and I allowed myself a relieved breath, thinking it was all over. It wasn't. Just after midnight, a furious scratching began to come from the roof. It was trying to force itself inside that way. With all my courage, I shouted a curse at the ceiling, which basically translates to creature, stay away. And that's when my sister woke up, confused and frightened. Before I could explain, there was a violent impact against one of the barred windows, 
making us both jump. Then the whole house began to shake. My sister and I had started to cry by this point, and through our tears prayed as hard as possible for protection. The Aswang didn't make another attempt after that. In the morning, we spoke to our neighbours, who live close enough we can hear them watching TV, and they claim not to have heard any of the commotion and impacts from the night before. I realised then, we had been well and truly alone. And like you and I have said, you know, we were just talking about Amityville and how the neighbours never heard any of the, mm. the shots. And of course, you know, I believe that DeFeo did what he did, mm. but... The fact that I never heard any of the friggin' gunshots yeah. is odd. And mm-hmm. when when you were telling me that, you know, again, because I didn't know that, I was thinking about this story and how, yeah, the neighbors aren't normally that close, but they didn't hear any of this commotion either. And mm-hmm. Ronald DeFeo didn't imagine those gunshots, and these girls didn't imagine this Aswang coming at them. And it just makes you wonder. You know, there's another, actually, another story coming up where there is a really dramatic noise that only one or two people heard. Yeah, it's funny. As you were saying that, a massive gust of wind is just <laughs> blast. Oh, really? Yeah, I was thinking, is, is, is that at your end? And it was just like... And I didn't hear a thing. Coincidence is a strange thing. Well, speaking of strange, actually, um, moving away from the story, I record my end of the conversation in my sort of my little studio slash office in our apartment which mm. used to be our spare room. But, uh, you know, early last year during the great darkness, when we re- figured, well, there's no guests coming anytime soon. <laughs> yes. We, uh, we got rid of the bed and I've just put a table in here and have been using it for, for show stuff. But I have to my right, I have a, a bunch of stuff, uh, framed on the wall and I have, um, a Sigaros poster from way back. I have a piece of art by uh, Canadian artist, Becky Campbell. I've got a, a plaque mounted Prometheus poster that they only gave out at IMAX screenings. And then I've got this little postcard painting that was done by um, the 12-year-old daughter of uh, a fellow I used to know from our store. And uh, she, she was selling her artwork at a coffee shop. And I, I'm a sucker for, for, for kids, you know, for anyone who tries to access their artistic side, I, I'm a sucker for it. And I will do my best mm. to support you. So I, I bought one of her paintings mm. and I just have it propped up on thumbtacks, but it's been sitting up there forever. And the other day I came into the office and it was on the ground and that mm. thing has been sitting up there for several years, never moved, never once. And it was on the ground and I thought, well, that's, oh, that's weird. Well, maybe it just mm. slipped over time, put it back up there. <laughs> but then I came in again a couple of days after that and I have a second copy of this IMAX poster. Uh, actually, I'm supposed to be sending it to a listener. I just keep forgetting to do that. Uh, we have a listener <laughs> who collects, collects posters, so I'm sending it over to them. But um, yeah, so I've got that propped up on this little ledge and behind it is a canvas print of the cover of my book. Well, I came in the other day and the poster had fallen over the laptop in front of it and the canvas print was moved away from the wall. But we don't have kids. The cats can't get up there. And if Mm. they did, they would make more of a mess than that. Nikki doesn't come in here at all. And if it had been a mouse, there again, more things would have been moved. It's just odd, like little things moving, you know, we've, we've heard, we've both had that sensation of your ear going very quiet and then mm-hmm. ringing. And so I don't know, it, it could be nothing, but it, it seems like there's something, something a little weird moving through the place at the moment. Yeah. We, we've got something strange going on at the minute here as well. Really? Do tell. Um, 
as an ex-smoker, <laughs> right? And I am fully aware of what cigarettes smell like. And um, over the last sort of four or five weeks, there have been three or four instances. Um, I'd never experienced it until the other day. Um, my partner Julie had the 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 first three incidents where she just basically said, "Oh, I can really sell cigarette smoke in the in the house." And I couldn't smell anything. I was like, no, no. And then the other day I was at the top of the stairs and it was like I'd just walked into a cloud, like I'd just walked into somebody having a cigarette. Oh, shit. And then it went really quickly. Now, even when I was a smoker, I didn't smoke in the house. Right. I'm I'm one of those people I like to kill myself slowly outside rather than inside. Very um, kind of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would never smoke in the house anyway. So it is quite noticeable, and it's only recently started happening. So at the moment, we're putting it down to the fact that, well, it must be some one of the neighbours, though how cigarette smoke can get through walls, I'm not sure. Especially in that concentration. I mean, you know, sometimes mm. we can, like if our upstairs neighbours are smoking weed by the window, mm. you know, we can kind of smell it down in our bedroom. So I just smoke my weed at them harder. <laughs> oh, yeah, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, weed off. That's right. Everyone wins. Everyone wins. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, in that concentration, to pa- that doesn't seem likely. And, and I mean, as you say, as, a, as an ex-smoker, you know the difference between a cloud of fresh smoke and something that's kind of seeped over. Mm. Mm. Interesting. The gray thing. Our senses are the way we interact with the world. And for a long time, I never had any reason to think about what that meant because it just worked. I saw what everyone else saw, heard what they heard, and so on. But then came a night five years ago when I was having dinner with my wife and children. And ever since then, I've not been so sure. This is my story. Really, there's not much preamble. It was a dinner like any other. My wife Becky was busy working on her thesis, and so I had cooked a casserole for us to enjoy with our two boys, Simon and Trent. We were sitting at the table in the living room, the kitchen at my back, when I heard a clattering behind me. It sounded like something had fallen over, and since I was going to be the one cleaning up the kitchen after dinner, I figured whatever it was could wait. Becky, though, she turned to look, and she screamed. Wheeling around to see what had upset her, I saw the gray thing. Hunched down between the kitchen island and adjacent countertop was a spindly, four-limbed creature with tight, ashen-gray skin covering its entire body. It had a large mouth, but no visible eyes. In retrospect, I don't recall any evil intent coming from the creature, but all the same, I panicked. Reaching for my water glass, which was full, I reared back to throw it and spilled water everywhere. Becky cried out and asked what I was doing, drawing my focus, and when I looked back, the gray thing was gone. When I looked towards my family, they were staring at me like I'd lost my mind, and Becky asked how I could be so cruel as to throw something at a mouse. A mouse, I said, and Becky nodded. That's what she'd seen, she said. That's why she screamed. The boys confirmed they'd also seen a mouse. So what the hell is wrong with me? It is weird how sometimes people's perception becomes very different to the same event. Yeah, I mean, that's an extreme example. But it kind of reminds me of some of the stuff uh, that's out there on things like screen memories. Mm. You know, like Mike Cleland has done a lot of work on that with owls, you know, and screen memories. And it's, it's really interesting stuff. You know, people will see, um, and, and actually this kind of relates to our upcoming story as well, but people will see a certain kind of animal and mm. someone else will remember it very, very differently. Mm. 
it's got a whole X-Files thing, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of those things, isn't it, that there are people that believe that certain things will appear as whatever appeals to the person that sees it the most. Yeah, there, there was one woman I remember, I don't remember where I read the story. I want to say it was in, might have been one of the Bud Hopkins books, hmm. but she saw, she remembers seeing a deer out in the woods. And again, this this really, really relates to the next story, hmm. but um, she saw a deer and then she lost hours. Hours were just gone. And when she went back home, she had a perfectly straight, perfectly clean cut that had bled a fair bit on her leg underneath her jeans. And it was far enough upper calf that it couldn't have cut, pardon me, that it couldn't have been something from the ground. Mm. But it had not in any way cut her jeans. Mm. And she was never able to to come up with an, an explanation for it. But she always felt like there was something weird about the deer she saw, but she could never put her finger on it. She could never really make sense of it. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I will say, though, I, I mentioned the X-Files, and I just, I need to tell someone this. Man, they really screwed Scully over in the eighth season. Holy smokes. Mm. When they when they brought Doggett on, yeah. man alive. It's like they made him the star of the friggin' show. I don't know who Gillian Anderson pissed off, but goddamn. Yeah, it really loses its way for a couple of years. Yeah, I bought the box set years ago, and Nick and I finally last year, because, hey, we had the time, we've, <laughs> we've been, we started watching our way through it, and yeah, yeah. we're up to about halfway through season eight now, and it really falls off. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, when it was on originally, I'd, I'd kind of lost lost my way. Me and the X-Files had had a bit of a fallout at that point, so I can't. I didn't really come back to it until Duchovny came back. Oh, okay. So I think that's really not until the modern season, the, mm. uh, the, the, the reunion season. I think they did like 12 episodes or something. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. There were some uh, high points in that, but um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and before this turns into the X-Files podcast, <laughs> which I, believe me, I, I consider, I consider doing like an episode by episode just for funsies watch through of a podcast of, of X-Files, mm. um, you know, cause I don't have enough shit to do right now, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Why not? But uh, it, that that really became a, a very gory show. Mm. By send by by I guess if you haven't seen season eight, then you might not know that. But yeah, it, it became a very surprisingly bloody show. Some really uh, surprising creature effects. Mm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was uh, not not what I was expecting. But again, we will uh, we'll move on before this uh, this becomes my episode by episode podcast about the X Files. <laughs> yeah, and I start over excitedly talking about the Golem episode. Oh, that was a great episode. Okay, no, you're right. You're right. (laughs) So before we tell the next story, we actually have a relevant email from our listener, Sam. And it's just kind of funny how it all sort of came together. This this was not intentional. You know, I read Sam's letter and then happened to be searching for stories and found one that was very similar. So Sam, if you're out there, I sent you an email telling you about this, but uh, here I am saying it on air as well. This is Sam's letter. Hi. So your talk of deer on the latest episode remind me of the not-deer cryptid from Appalachia. I've never personally seen one, but where I'm from, there aren't really considered cryptids like Mothman, but are more accepted as definitively real. Oh, there are some Mothman people out there pissed at you right now, Sam. A not-deer is a creature you encounter while hiking or driving down a road in the woods or something like that. When you first see it, you just think it's a deer. They're everywhere, so no big deal. It's true, they're everywhere in Victoria, too. When you really look at it, though, it is wrong somehow. Maybe its legs are too long, maybe it's too big, its neck might have too many joints, like a finger. 
Its eyes might be on the front of its head instead of the side. Some or all of the legs are backwards. Maybe its mouth is open and the teeth are sharp and there are too many, like a predator. Maybe its head is more human-shaped than deer-shaped. Maybe they walk or hop on two legs instead of four. And they always look you in the eye. Stories of not deer describe them as always having some of the above features, but not all of them. Well, that, that's good. That would be one fucked up looking creature. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a nightmare right there. <laughs> yeah, this is the, the beginning to uh, resemble something that you would expect to see in The Thing. Also this, yes, absolutely. Funny enough, I just saw a, uh, a lecture on The Thing given by the director Lee Winnell. Mm. He uh, did Upgrade and The Invisible Man. Yes. That was re- really, really good. If you guys like movies, uh, okay, fuck it, I'll say it. If you guys like movies, the Denver Public Library is hosting weekly talks on Saturday at 1130 Central Time. They're free on Zoom. You just have to sign up. But they're hosted by the film critic Walter Chow. The weekend before last, he had James Elroy talking about the film Crime Wave. He had, again, Lee Winnell talking about The Thing. Some really brilliant stuff. If you like movies, Google Denver Public Library, Walter Chow, C-H-A-W. It's free. It's the best time you'll spend on a Saturday morning that doesn't involve fucking. <laughs> but uh, let's get back to get back to Sam's letter here. <laughs> you gonna make it? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Sam says, interestingly, they don't try and hide or remain elusive. Small groups see them, and if you want, you can usually go back and find it again if you hurry. Usually they are harmless. At least I've never heard of harm. You just see them, get spooked, and move on. First off, thank you, Sam. And as I mentioned, just by random chance, which I'm starting to think is not all that random, we found Mm. this story. The Not Deer. When my sister Tanya and I were young, we spent our summers in Italy with our grandparents. Every year, they would close up their house in the city and rent a house in the mountains for three months. And every year, our parents would fly us over there to visit. It was a huge privilege, and the memories we created are priceless to me. Those summers also instilled in me an incredible love of the outdoors and hiking, which endures still. In fact, when I became an adult, I relocated to that same region and have lived there for the last nine years. Nowadays, I'm out on the mountains most weekends, and so is my boyfriend, Paolo. We're such diehards that we only choose the most challenging trails, and often it's only the two of us out there, blanketed by the forest's silence. Given the amount of time we spend exploring, camping and so on, we have become supremely comfortable in the wilderness, and had reached a point where we thought we had exhausted everything the mountain had to offer. This notion was corrected in spectacular fashion one day, when we were climbing a particularly difficult path near an alpine lake. Paolo is slower than I, so when I finally summited, he was still ways behind me, and so I sat to enjoy the view. Around me, butterflies flew, birds chirped, and I felt completely at one with the world. If you haven't done this, I recommend it highly. It's not easy, but the reward is worth the effort. As I sat there, the strangest feeling came over me, as though there was something in the trees behind me. The rock where I sat was on a rise above the forest floor, and so when I turned around, 
I find myself looking down on a lovely long-hawed chameau. They are shy creatures, and so this was an unexpected delight. My view of him was from the back, and the longer I took him in, his light brown fur with his black line that went from head to tail, the more I felt like something wasn't quite right. Then I saw it. While his rear legs were normal, his front legs didn't end in hooves. Instead, they looked similar to a bird's claw, but not so sharp. Then he turned his head to the side, and I saw that his face was also wrong. It had no muzzle, but seemed to be completely flat. I never got a straight look at him to be able to determine what his eyes and mouth looked like. He slowly walked away into the shadows of a pine tree and out of my sight, but I sat there stunned until Paolo finally reached me. Of course, he didn't believe me and teased me for seeing such an impossible thing, but I know what I saw. Was it a god? A monster? I'll never know. But just like my love of the mountains, that vision will never leave me. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the things you should never say to yourself is, boy, I bet the mountains are done with me. <laughs> I came from the mountains. And if there's one thing I can promise you with any certainty, it's that the mountains always have a fresh horror waiting for you just mm. around the corner. Not that this sounds like a bad experience, but still, whatever your limits are, the mountain doesn't care. The mountain, the mountain cannot hear your safe word and is not interested. I mean, it's, it's quite an unusual encounter as well, because there doesn't seem to be any kind of fear from it or, or dread, or it doesn't seem to want to approach the person that, that sees this thing. It just kind of says, hmm, right, see you later, bye. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I really appreciated about it. You know, it's, I mean, obviously I loved telling stories on here about scary things because, you know, it makes for, makes for just great storytelling. But, you know, th there is so much wonder in the world. If we accept the reality of these things we talk about here, then, then we have to accept that there is a, an entire world to which we are only ever partially privy. And mm. it's not, sure, there are going to be scary things there because, I mean, that's just the nature of worlds. You know, there's good and there's bad. But there's also going to be wonder. And this sounds like it falls squarely into the wonder category. And I, I kind of love that. And I suppose you could also say, did she capture something that was mid-transformation? That could be too. Yep. Entirely possible. It's one of those things where uh, you kind of have to go to the mountain to find out. And you could not march me up a hiking trail at gunpoint. So <laughs> I'll never well, know. I'm a, I'm, a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Italy. So I'll, I'll, I'll take one for the team. <laughs> oh, you, you saint you. You have to go hiking though. If I, you send me pictures from a pub called The Mountain and say you did it, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> trying to think if I've got a local that could be mountain-esque. Just imagining you cuddling yeah, with that guy from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, I'll just nip to the slaughtered lamb instead. There, well, there we go. That's so much cooler. The bent mass is what I have in my neighborhood. Yours wins. The Harvester. This story comes courtesy of our listener and one of our resident GSG artists, Bob Vasquez. This story was passed down to me by my grandma, and the events occurred sometime in the early 1920s. And if I'm not mistaken, this story takes place in the Philippines. Dusk was quickly settling in as the farm workers beat a hasty retreat towards the beckoning aroma of dinner in the cook fires. My grandmother, then a young girl, had started walking back to their house when she saw a lone farmer in the field. He was bent down, sickle in hand, harvesting rice, and she called to him a few times with no response. After a short walk back to their home, 
She told her father about the lone harvester who refused to respond to her questions, and much to her surprise, her father asked, Did you hear his sickle? Dumbfounded, she thought about it a bit, then answered that she had not. Her father, my great-grandfather, told her if she could wait until after dinner, he'd tell her why. Dinner during harvest time is a big affair, as neighbors often helped each other harvest crops, and the amount of people present was easily numbered in the dozens. Thankfully, they used oiled banana leaves instead of plates, so nobody had to wash a ton of stuff. That's really smart. After dinner was done, and everybody was quietly chatting, my great-grandfather sat by my grandma, and in quiet tones told her why she hadn't heard the sickle. He told her that some years back, when he was a young man, a transient came to their doorstep asking for work so he could feed himself. His father, my great-great-grandfather, told the man, Okay, let's settle up when you're done with the work. The next day, the man started to help with the harvest, with the understanding that when he reached the other end of the field, he'd finally get paid. In those days, breakfast, lunch, and dinner was an every-man-for-himself affair, and so the man labored on. Unbeknownst to everybody there, the man didn't bother to eat for quite some time, and so on the third day they just found him, dead, in the middle of the fields. He never made it to the end to claim his pay. A few days later, one of the workers noticed that the man was back where he left off, sickle in hand, reaping into rice, but no rice was disturbed, and each year around harvest time he shows up near dusk, each year just a little bit closer to the end of the field. Child, my great-grandfather said in a solemn voice, always put your people ahead of the prophets. He still has a ways to go, but I'm afraid that one day he'll reach the end of that field, and we'll have to settle up. I can only hope it happens during my time, as I don't want to pass that burden on to you. My great-grandfather lived for many more years, well into the 1950s, and when he passed away was also the last time the workers saw the harvester. It's why my grandmother never turned anybody away, and also put it in her will that a large portion of the lands the farmers toiled on be given to them as her way of settling up. And thank you so much, Bob. Bob is a, is a, a fountain of wonderful stories from the Philippines. And um, though I would never share it here because he shared it in confidence, his family's story of coming to America is really something too. It's a very, very powerful, inspiring story. So, so thank you, Bob. Mm. You know, I, I don't think people properly appreciate how much work goes into getting food from the fields or anything really from the mm. fields to in front of you. A couple of years ago, um, my, in fact, the last project I worked on when I was still working in the cannabis industry was, uh, I'm trying to think how I can put this very generally. Um, it was legal at the time. It, this wasn't, this wasn't black market stuff, but still, <laughs> it, I, you know, yeah, I signed, I signed some stuff, but yeah, the point being, um, it, these people had their sights set on an indoor project. They, they wanted to, they wanted to get, um, a legal license to grow and sell marijuana to the government. So they had a piece of land and they were going to build an indoor facility, but of course, indoor facilities very expensive to start with, hmm. very expensive, particularly the kind of facility they wanted to build. So then an opportunity came up for them to buy an additional piece of very verdant farmland uh, on Vancouver Island, which had previously been used for another crop. And I, my first day on the job was the day that we first went to go look at this property. Gorgeous place, Paul. Just felt lovely, lovely hmm. land. It was a fair sized piece of property. The fellow, again, he had, he had raised a whole family, you know, just on the, the, the monoculture he had on this land. Hmm. and they bought it with the expectation they were going to grow outdoor cannabis. And it, because none of them were farmers, these people were all investment people. They had no idea what was involved in 
harvesting anything when it came to harvest time. So they were just thinking, okay, we're going to buy this land and it's cheaper because we don't have to build all these buildings. Hmm. Therefore, it's, it's easier. We're growing outdoors. And then the consultants, who one of whom I was assistant to, they took them aside and said, you guys know that to actually harvest this stuff is, is very time consuming. Like outdoor cannabis, you can't use machinery the same way. It, it, most of this has to be done by hand. You're going to need a massive workforce to do this. And by the time that they had actually really come to terms with this, they'd already bought the land. <sighs> but uh, yeah, they had no idea that it was that much work. And so I think about what Bob says here about, you know, the neighbors coming over and, you know, dinner on oiled banana plates. Like I, without that kind of community, it's, it's got to be a hard ass thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, where I grew up, there were several farms in the area, um, you know, and you basically just see people working all day and night. I'm sure. Yeah. And these people had not in any way budgeted for the personnel costs of mm. the massive, again, yeah, the significant workforce and law. And as you say, round the clock workforce, it was going to take to pick and, and ha- to harvest and to, to dry. And yeah, yeah, we just, we don't, we don't properly appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when a time sensitive crop as well, you, you know, you've got a certain time you've got to be done by and anything yeah. else after that, you've just thrown money away. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's exactly it. So yeah, that, that project never, never got off the ground. Sadly, that was, again, I was let go and that was, yeah, that was my last time in that industry and I, I don't miss it because <laughs> the money, the money was great, but there was a lot of disorganization. And uh, Bob, again, thank you so, so much. And if you liked that story from Bob, he is one half of the episode, I want to say 87, uh, Star in a Dark Night, The Haunting of the Philippines. There are, we have uh, stories from him and from our listener, Rose. And um, yeah, brilliant stories from the Philippines. And uh, I do recommend you check out that episode. Again, that's, I, I want to say episode 87, A Star in a Dark Night. Fireballs in the Sky from our listener, Kim. I was listening to episode 104, where you were talking about fireballs in the sky. This just happened to me a few weeks ago while visiting family in Carson City, Nevada with my dad. My aunt offered to let us stay with her for the short visit of three days, and me, being a good daughter, I let my dad take the spare room whilst I slept on the couch in the living room. The last night before our trip was to end, I was making my bed on the couch when my aunt came out to chat. It was about 10.30pm and we were talking about how cold it was that night, around 22 degrees Fahrenheit, which is minus 6 Celsius. My aunt was sitting on the love seat with her back to the big picture window in the living room and I was facing it. From the eave of her garage to the big pine tree in her yard, I saw a ball of yellow-orange light, maybe two foot or so in diameter, go straight from the side of her house and disappear behind the pine tree. This was low, roof height, and close. Right away I described it to her and asked, What did I just see? She said that the small Carson City airport was nearby, but this wasn't that. That same night, about 2.30am, I saw a shadow person, and the next morning in the snow, very large footprints leading up to my aunt's side gate. Weirdly, I didn't feel afraid of these events, just perplexed. It's a lot, and I know I sound like a crazy person, but this did happen. So thank you very much for sending that in, Kim. And I'm always really interested when you have that intersection of kind of UAPs and the paranormal. Mm. And I know it drives a certain segment of that community nuts. 
<laughs> to even suggest linking those things. But, you know, I, again, sometimes they're just inextricable. It seems like there's a progression as well of, of things occurring. So they, they may all be random events that just all happen at the same time, or they may all be leading into each other. Who knows? Yeah. I know uh, Sam, uh, who's, who actually our, our $50 tier is named for, Sam's Club. He is uh, a railroad engineer and an engineer conductor. Sam, I'm sorry, I can, I can never remember which. But um, he often had to do, has to do the run from San Francisco down through to uh, Reno. Hmm. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Reno and Carson City are roughly, uh, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up because otherwise I'm going to look like an idiot. Yeah, so it's, it's about a 30-minute drive south. And I know Sam has said a few times that when he's on the train in the, in, uh, sort of in the woods, there are definitely places you're passing through. He's quite a, a sensitive guy, and he's really felt some of these sort of natural disturbances out there. So mm. yeah, I suppose if you're going to have it in any part of Nevada, it makes sense it would be there because it's, mm. it's just seems to be rife with, with nature spirits. And I know he's described seeing things in the woods in the winter far away from anywhere people would be. And he said, yet there's a person. And he said, it just doesn't make sense. It's completely incongruous, but you're seeing it. So you have to somehow make sense of it. Mm-hmm. So Kim, that's, that area is, is very active. So again, no great surprise. And again, after what Maynardo told us about balls of light as well, you know, there's clearly some kind of connection there. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing that. The trouble with doppelgangers. And this story comes from Alexandra. My dad has always told me that maybe I am more sensitive than the average person. I never put much thought into it as I just believe that frequent encounters are normal. And so here are a few of my favorites. Me and my husband moved in with his parents on their ranch while we were in the process of getting our new house ready. Shortly after arriving, I was home alone, sitting on the front porch with my dog, when I looked up and saw a person standing just far enough away I couldn't quite make out who it was. I quickly jumped up and started walking towards this person saying, Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't see you there. The closer I got, the more I realized it resembled my mother-in-law, but almost simultaneously as I started to recognize this person standing before me, they slowly disappeared. I was now standing in the spot I was certain there was a person just moments ago and I was all alone. Now I know what you're thinking. Old ranch and farmhouse, perfect spot for a haunting, but this was a brand new development and nothing like this has happened before. A few weeks passed with no other incidents, until one day when it was just me and my mother-in-law home and we were outside busy doing chores. She was out back working with her flowers and I was in the garage tinkering around when I heard her call me. I stopped what I was doing to go find her and ask what she needed. She looked at me confused and said she hadn't called me. Puzzled, I just shrugged it off and went back to the garage to continue what I was doing. Again, I heard her call my name, so again, I went back out to see what she needed, thinking she was just messing with me. But I got the same confused look and she assured me that she hadn't been the one making the call. I went back to what I was doing, pushing the calls to the back of my mind. My new family is full of pranksters, so you can never be too careful around these people. My husband's favorite thing to do was hide around the corner of the pathway to the guest house we were staying in, sometimes jumping out just to scare me or if he was feeling particularly hilarious, throw eggs at me. One night on the way to the guest house to get ready for bed, I could see him plain as day, even though it was pitch black, hiding around the corner. I could even hear him rustling around, so I just continued on saying, I can see you, idiot, (laughs) and ran right past him into the guest house. When I opened the door, I saw the last thing I wanted to see, my husband sitting on the couch playing video games. Who did I see hiding? I told my husband and in-laws about what I have been experiencing, 
but they all dismissed it. Of course, they've seen it too, they just don't realize. I don't know how many times I have overheard them saying things like, what is Alex doing out there? Or, who's in the garage when I wasn't outside? Or, no one was in the garage. It doesn't seem to be harmful or scary, just a bit annoying and mischievous. So maybe with any luck, this thing will give them some much-needed payback for the years of pranks I've had to endure. You sound like a very patient woman, Alex. After moving off the ranch into our new house, the doppelganger-type experience has stopped, thank God, for me at least, but have since been replaced with a whole new set of encounters, but that's a story for another time. I have no shortage of spooky stories. Do you think the thing I kept seeing and hearing was a doppelganger? So, first off, thank you very much for sending that in, Alex. And by like, definitionally, you know, it was a doppelganger. You were seeing someone who looked like a person who was not actually there. But I, the big question is, of course, what is a doppelganger? You know, we say this with sort of authority. Oh, that's, that's a this. That's a shadow person. That's a, an orb. That's a this. But we don't really know what those things are. We don't know what that means. And that's, I don't know. I, again, I'm, I'm happy that you didn't find it threatening. I think that's good. But at the same time, I find that unnerving. Well, what's peculiar about this is that she seems to be experiencing something different to everybody else as well. So is it appearing as different people to different members of the family? Or are they all misinterpreting something and just assuming it's whoever they can't see? Well, that seems to be the, the case. It seems to be impersonating different members to different people. That or there are multiple things looking like multiple members of the family, which is not a great option. <laughs> no, I don't know what's worse. Yeah, it, it's, it's a toss-up. Yeah. I will say what is worse definitely are pranks. <laughs> Alex, you sound like the world's most patient person. I hate pranks so much. <laughs> God, I hate pranks. I hate pranks. I, th there's a, a show, uh, Impractical Jokers, mm. that people just love, just love. And, and I recognize they're funny guys and they work hard, but man, I can't do it. I just, I just die inside as I see these things unfold. And yeah, people generally don't prank me. And I think it's because they know that they will feel the cold hand of death <laughs> caress their brow, you know, shortly thereafter. Um, but uh, yeah, I, you are a wonderfully patient person, Alex, because this, I've had exactly one person in my life throw eggs at me and it was a bunch of kids from a park throwing them at my car. And if, if I could have gotten out of the car, if I could have just driven the car up the hill and run them over, I absolutely would have. <laughs> yeah, well, egging is one of, uh, one of the UK's traditions at, at mischievous night, which depending on which part of the UK you live in is either the night before Halloween or the night before bonfire night. Um, and uh, in, in basically involves children terrorizing the locality for an evening and um, and so I, I am fully aware of how powerful a egg can be, and you can put a window through if you get it the right way around. I believe it, and I'm sure this is definitely not coming from experience. Not from, no. You know, from, from no, no, no. <laughs> Your friend told you this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It's one of those things like putting a bullseye through a letterbox, <laughs> those type of things. Putting a what? A bullseye. So you'd go to the butchers and ask for some bullseyes because, you know, butchers are always going to sell bullseyes to children with no concern. I'm sorry. I'm trying to process this through my head. I'm having to reset my brain. <laughs> you buy bullseyes from a, a butcher shop. They have yeah. these apparently. Okay. They okay. did. Yes, yes. Yeah. They the did. joy oh, of the eight is. <laughs> right. And then you would put them in mailboxes. You would post them through people's letterboxes. Yeah. Apparently. 
what the fuck is wrong with your country? <laughs> and you had done this. I've heard about this. Oh, I see. I see. I've, yeah. Yeah. My lawyer says. <laughs> it's like the, uh, you'd cut the washing line as well. They'd steal people's washing lines. And, um, you would tie their front door and their back door together and then knock on it really loudly. And then you could hear them desperately trying to get out of their house and they couldn't. Oh, God. You were just a, you were like the, the Tasmanian devil, but full of lager. <laughs> oh, no, it was pre-drinking days. Oh, okay. Okay. So just piss and vinegar then. Just, just angry, angry teenagers on the, on the oh, page. Oh, man. Yeah. So that, that was mischievous night. So, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the 80s must have been a tough time for people. I mean, I still can't believe you could go to the butchers and buy a bag of bullseyes. Really, I'm still hung up there. I, I, I think really, as I progress with my life, I will always be hung up on that place. <laughs> There's this Har Harlan Ellison story where a woman imprisons a man like this creeps psyche inside a brick wall in her own mind. And so she's always kind of carrying him with her, but just bricked up in her mind. And so part of me is always going to be bricked up in the world. That thought, that frozen moment where you are buying a bag of eyeballs <laughs> from a butcher shop and the butcher is just going, this is, this is normal. This is a thing we are doing. This is an exchange that's happening right now in this human moment. This yeah. child wants a bag of eyes. I am selling a bag of eyes, which I have to give. This is England in the 80s. There's Margaret Thatcher stepping on a poor Irish person's throat. The Scream That Wasn't Things in my house have been strange lately, and my health hasn't been the best, but I don't know whether that is related to what I'm about to tell you. My husband Bogdan and I live in Varna, Bulgaria, in a room we inherited from his family several years ago. It is a well-kept home, perhaps too large for our needs, as we have no plans to have children, but we love it and fill the space by having company over often. Bogdan and I usually finish work at the same time, but sometimes he has to stay late, and so the first thing I do upon arriving home from work is to say, Bogdan, love, I'm home. Are you home yet? And of course, when he is home, he always says, yes, Annie. My name is Anelia. This story happened in the summer, on a lovely day, when I had finished work a little early and stopped on the way to get groceries for dinner. As always, I unlocked the door and carried my bags inside, putting them on the countertop before calling out. Bogdan, love, I'm home. Are you home yet? As I said, I had been dismissed early, so to say that was more out of habit. I didn't expect to hear him reply, yes, Annie, from upstairs but in a strange way. Bogdan sounded gruff, drowsy, and a bit distorted. It's hard to explain exactly how he sounded, but it was him, and I assumed he had maybe gotten a summer cold and went upstairs to check on him. Upstairs is broken up in an unusual way, with a central corridor that winds around itself a little till it reaches the master bedroom at the end. That was the first place I looked for him, but he wasn't there. And so I called out, where are you? And he immediately responded, yes, Annie, in that same unusual way, but now sounding hurried and angry. I felt a cold feeling in my belly and then a moment later heard the front door open. I ran to the stairs and saw Bogdan standing in the kitchen, putting his laptop on the counter next to my groceries. 
This was very disorientating, and I became light-headed. I looked back towards the upstairs hallway and saw a shadowy figure, diffuse and translucent, standing there. I then heard a heavy, full-throated scream, and after that, I remember nothing until I woke up in the hospital. Of course I was panicked, but Bogdan was there, and assured me I was okay, but I'd fainted on the stairs and briefly stopped breathing. The first thing I asked him after that was whether or not I was the one who had screamed, but he had claimed there had been no such sound. I asked him if he had seen the figure upstairs, and he said no, but something in his eyes was wrong. I believe there's something he's holding back from me. Doppelganger shit, as we've always said, is, is scary, but that one seems even more so because it's got that element of uh, of mimicry, but a very crude kind of mimicry. Yeah. The fact that it kept responding, yes, Annie, but it mm. didn't matter what the question was. And again, we've got a situation where supposedly no one heard it. You know, Bogdan claims he didn't hear the scream. So is it something, you know, was it something that, that actually happened or was it something she imagined? And if she did, why did she imagine it? Yeah. And there's clearly, I think, more to this than meets the eye because this house belonged to his family. Of course. Yeah. And obviously Annie's gut feeling here is that he knows more than he's willing to share. So is this something that has always been there and it's only now started to make its presence known? Which in a completely unintentional way, I, I didn't line the stories up like this. And certainly I didn't seek out stories like this. This really mirrors Alex's story. Mm. I mean, it doesn't have the same uh, kind of, it doesn't have the same deception hers, but there's still this, like, hey, this is a family place and this thing is happening here. And, and she seems to be the only one who is aware of it in the, like, it, it is fully aware of what's happening. Yeah. Huh. It, we've actually had that an unusual amount in this last, well, really since, since January, an unusual amount of uh, these sort of synchronicities, these things lining up when we, we don't intend them to. And it's, it's kind of cool, but uh, also, you know, a little weird. So thank you to everyone whose stories we used on this show. We love hearing from you guys. We read every story you send, and we do our best to share as many as we can. If you want to share one, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the way to do it. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts. It's time to reopen the Q files. Are you ready? Count me in. So what we're gonna do first is, in the spirit of the Donner Party, yes. we have a little platter here of raw human. Raw human. Thank you, Black Market. In season one, we took you on many adventures. We conducted seances, hunted ghost trains, sought out demons, and even dug up the dead. But we were just getting started. His prized possession in his uh, office of his private practice was a uh, severed human foot in a jar on his desk. Now, on the second season of The Q Files, we're going to fully embrace the notion that not all those who wonder are lost. Well, if one thousand feet turned left, this is when GPS is really 
But we do always find our way as we take you along with us. And it's right by the tree. Okay. There it is. We will tell you strange new tales and even tell the stories of those who tell the stories of those long gone. Whenever I'm doing research on my stories, I always try to visit the graves of the people yeah. that I'm telling the story about just to kind of have that connection. And kind of get their blessing. An interesting thing about um, these picnics and leaving food at graves was often to kind of placate the, the dead to prevent them from coming back to haunt you. And we'll even defy death in the process. Oh, there's a dead bee in my boilers. <laughs> I mean, to die on air is one thing. To die on air in a graveyard is just bull. Oh, you know, I'm eating the food that's going to kill me in the spot where they're going to bury me. It's <laughs> a joke. I want to be taxidermied. We'll tell the stories of those who no one believes. I'm not saying that any of us know what it is or what they are or who's driving them. But there's a phenomenon, and it seems there's parts of it that even seem to delve into the realm of consciousness. We're out here at the Stevenson Farm where at the door to the house, he looked out and he looked over here close to where we're standing, and right above the barn is where he saw the craft. We'll bring it all home to the relevant real-world issues of today. Being gay and being um, really passionate about ufology, sometimes it does seem um, a little lonely. It's just something that I've always been open about. And my local group here is a really small town. They've all been really supportive. And dig up some interesting unknown history in the process. Abraham Lincoln and the Donner Party. I was fascinated to learn Abraham Lincoln was invited to go on the journey with the Donna Reed party that by James Reed. Whenever the uh, circus uh, came back into town or when they had a parade through the, the cemetery of all the circus um, performers, uh, sideshow freaks as they would be called then. We'll ask you questions that we should all ponder. But here's the thing I ask. You're dying, I don't care from what, and an angel comes down. What wouldn't you do to stay alive? What is the one thing you would say, oh no, I'd rather die? And if things go right, will conduct something that has never been done before. A ghost hunt in a slaughterhouse. Season two of The Q-Files, coming up soon, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be weird, stay curious. I am Lori Gunn. I'm Shane McClellan, and these are The Q-Files. Ah, Shane. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, 
it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As ever, thank you so much to Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for everything they do to help me out, big and small. I really, really appreciate you guys. Uh, Paul and I both really appreciate you guys. And if you want to hear more from Luke, you can check out his show, Luke Lore. That's available everywhere you get your podcasts. It's a bi-weekly show. They're pretty short, usually about 15 minutes, and it's just Luke doing a quick dive into a folklore topic which has uh, caught his attention. I also want to thank my co-host, Paul Bestel the Johnny Carson of the Paranormal, and host also of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast, which if you are not listening to, you are missing out on. Thank you as always. Um, some especially spooky stories this week. Yeah. A few doppelgangers. Oof. I, see, I assume at some point we'll get a visit from those guys again, Paul. I just feel like we're back knocking on those doors and eventually one of them's going to open. Be careful what you wish for. Oh, I'm not wishing for it. Fuck no. <laughs> I don't have died. Good. I've been down that road. Yes. So what's coming up on M&M? Um, well, this week we will have uh, Terry Lovelace discussing his alien abduction and encounter in the infamous Devil's Den State Park. Oh, of course. I'm looking forward to that is, one. Which is a, a, one of those areas that's uh, high strangeness. So we, we talk about Terry's case and some of the weird things that happened after it, as well as a couple of unusual other events that have happened to other people in that particular area. Um, including one very peculiar disappearing child case. Yikes. And then we've got uh, a couple of other UFO-themed episodes. We've got a couple of paranormal episodes coming up. Tony Healy's coming. We've managed to get Tony back on to talk about the cryptids of New Zealand, which was fantastic because that's something I know next to nothing about. So it was delightful to get a, a whistle-stop tour of of the uh, more unusual cryptids that we don't normally associate with New Zealand. Very cool. Also, I was going to say, I recently finished listening to episode 114, I think it was, with Stephen Bassett and Darcy Weir. Mm -hmm. And if you guys are into the UFO or UAP subject at all, check out that episode. It is really interesting. Stephen Bassett is a very smart guy. Darcy Weir is a very talented documentarian. And they have a lot to say that I, I think you guys will find very interesting. And um, I actually, yeah. on the back of that, Paul suggested I watch the documentary Volcanic UFO Mysteries. And I don't usually do paranormal documentaries very well. You know, I'm, I'm a big admirer of the small town monsters guys, uh, but I've only seen a few of their programs. Um, but this is, is really, really good stuff. And uh, I think it might be on Prime for free in the US. I had to pay to rent it, but I feel like it might be on Prime in the US. So uh, it's only an hour and it's very much worth your time. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. And uh, unsurprisingly, Stephen and Darcy will be returning shortly. Oh, brilliant. Well, I look forward to it. All right, Paul. Well, thank you again, and we will talk soon. 
My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Now it's time for our Ghost Force shoutouts. Patrons who support us at the $20 level, you are part of an elite club. You're the brave. You're the proud. You are Ghost Force. That's right. Every second episode, patrons at the $20 level and above, those esteemed members of Ghost Force, will be thanked here. In this voice, whatever it is, I'm not entirely sure. This time around, they are Atham Saragon, Amanda Strong, Anne Ramey, Ashley Marsha, Charlotte Clary, Christopher Kunes, Dan Garrity, Danielle Harris, Eric Abel, Hannah Brown, Holland Connor, Ian Harrison, Jackie McFarland, Jaime Vasquez, Jeanette Patterson, Jean Cupertino, Jennifer Petty, Julia Lugubrius, Just Julie, Jenna Blackwelder, Karen, Kimberly Hansen, Lumpy Rug, Mark Semler, Mary Rose WW, Noel Jim, Rebecca Cloutier, Rhonda Sheen, Richard Easby. Truly, you are fearless explorers of the night, and for that, I salute you. For real though, thank you so much guys. Can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Uh, I hope you like that. If you don't, if you're $20 and above and you hate that, tell me and we'll do something about it. But uh, thanks so much guys. If you want to join the Patreon, and we have a lot of cool shit going on, you get early access to the main shows, you get a monthly music show that is starting to have regular guests of other podcasts, we listen to tunes and talk about the music and that host's life and, and what they're up to and what they're doing. It's a lot of fun. It's not spooky at all. It's just an opportunity for us to get to know someone cool while we listen to new indie music. You get monthly episodes of The Sunken Library, which is a complimentary paranormal pod where I tell a story that either won't fit into the main show or just doesn't quite match the format of the main show. Our most recent episode is just over an hour long, and I'm talking about the reality or unreality of Death Curses with Miriam Drager, who is the host of the YouTube show The Grim Exchange. And it was a really great conversation. The month before that was about haunted bars in Canada, and that includes an interview with Nick Nedden, who is the host of the Flower Hour podcast, and who also once owned a haunted bar in Windsor, Ontario. Plus, at the higher levels, you get access to our monthly movie night, which is me and Paul, and this month uh, included Kev from We Need to Talk About Ghosts, watching a movie, shooting the shit, telling stories, and that's a live hangout. You can send us questions, send us comments. It was two hours long this time, and it was a fucking blast. And there's also physical rewards, stickers, art cards, a copy of Vampire Stepdad's amazing Love Bites album. It's all there at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Even a dollar a month makes a difference and is certainly appreciated by myself and everyone else who helps out with the show. If you want to get in touch, please do. I love hearing from you guys. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We read everything you send. We respond as much as possible, but you know, we don't get back to everyone, but again, I am reading everything. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys. That community has been pretty quiet these last few months. Uh, so yeah, if you have something to share over there, please feel free. We're also on Instagram at instagram.com slash theghoststoryguys. And that is a pretty happening place. Every day there are meme posts and every Friday there is a brilliant dark art feature from Canadian artist Wanda Fraser. She illustrates a different branch of folklore and they are always something to behold. 
So make sure to check that out. We're also on TikTok and Twitter as Ghost Story Guys. And if you want to get a hold of me personally, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, both as Largely the Truth. If you have a story to share, either potentially for a listener's stories episode or if something you just want to tell us personally, email is the best way to do it. You can send DMs, but stories are best submitted via email. And if you don't want to type, you can always call the ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're going to call ghost line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. Thank you, of course, to Amber Pease for her ghost line jingle. That's one triple eight five eight eight six nine two zero. If you've got a story or comment for the show, that's toll free in North America. And if you're outside of North America and you want to send in a ghost line call, all you got to do is use the voice recorder app on your phone and email it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com with the subject heading ghostline. Finally, if you don't want to call, you can text to nine two five 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 three four seven eight nine. Huge thanks to our musical guest Faustbot. The song we played was Masks Off from his debut album, Synthetic Noise. You can find more from him at faustbot.bandcamp.com or by following the link in the show notes. Our theme music was, of course, provided by Peter of Pizanta Music, and you can find more from him everywhere you stream your tunes. His latest album, 1989, is available on streaming platforms everywhere. And our story's theme, of course, is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. That's Hexagram with two X's, not three. All other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for Podsafe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com to check them out. And if you're an artist or musician with new music that you think would be a good match and you'd like to be a musical guest, shoot me an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com, and we'll talk about it. We don't use everyone who sends music in, of course, but uh, even if we can't use it for the show, we'll still try and find some way to give you a shout out, whether it's on our Instagram or somewhere like that. Again, we, uh, yeah, we love helping out artists. We're all in this together, and the more we can do to boost each other, the better off we'll all be. Oh, and one last thing. I was very graciously invited onto the Haunted AF podcast with Julie and Rebecca. I had a wonderful time talking to those gals, and the episode is out now. So you can find that by searching for Haunted AF wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show, and until then, into the darkness we go. Back to the Ford Fairlane show with Paul and Brent. <laughs> hey. If it's fizzing, see a doctor. Now record the show, goddamn. We gotta record the show. We've been talking about movies for 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and you wanna do you wanna trade off with me here? Yeah, can do, mate. Sweet. Hear me. Put my teeth in. Gosh, I'm right. I'm only two sentences in. <laughs> it's fucking terrible. You have to check it out. I, I, I keep my uh, my love of musical theatre quite quite close to my chest as a as a fan of Jesus Christ <laughs> superstar anything's possible one day the ghost story guys musical Paul it's coming <laughs>
We are bald and sexy and we're coming in your ears. <laughs> nope. Nope. Okay. That didn't mean for it to sound like that. Okay. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Moving on. You know, there's that line in Event Horizon where they're like, have you ever seen fire in zero gravity? It's like liquid. This was like that in the air. Sometimes I my cats throw up and, and Nikki and I have this arrangement. She handles spiders. I handle vomit and rats. And, uh, you know, I, I'll be down on my hands and knees scrubbing at the carpet. And I think, Jesus, I'm glad I don't have kids. Because I, I feel like I'd be doing this more. Probably not much more given what assholes cats are, but I feel like I'd be doing it more. I'm always that dangerous family friend who overexcites the children and then departs. <laughs> you and Nikki have that in common. She does that with people's dogs. She loves to loves to get them all. No, I do that too. Yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys can never meet. Yeah, if you've got toddlers and dogs, I'm not the person to have around because I will basically walk out and leave you with a maelstrom to deal with. Just imagining the house is on fire, the kids riding the dog around <laughs> holding a cardboard sword. Kitchen's on fire. The best of experience. <laughs> Somebody's abseiling out the bedroom window. Yeah. <laughs> Love, light, and laughter. That's right, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm composing our, our next single fucking on a Saturday, so. <laughs> Top of the pops. You can keep your sleeping in. Because we are fucking... <laughs> Not me and Paul, this is separate. We're just singing it together. <laughs> no more cartoons for me. That's right. So when we got the second cat, Bodhi took a lot longer to acclimate than Chewie did. Chewie basically, you know, you put them in the spare room and then they told us just let her figure her own way out and she'll come out when she's ready. And she came out right away. She's lying on the bed, you know, love me, you motherfucker, all that stuff. But Bodhi... He, he was, you know, and he'd, he'd been through a lot. So comparatively speaking, like he'd, he'd had kind of a rough life. So it made sense. He had a lot of trauma, but in order for him to get accustomed to the apartment, Chewie had to sleep in the bedroom with, with, with us. So mm. she, you know, cause she was, she didn't like him, uh, which is awesome because they were meant to be company for each other, but that, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. So I was on the couch, Nick was in bed with, with Chewie. And of course we had to put her litter box in there. Well, I'm sitting on the couch watching a movie. All of a sudden, the bedroom door bursts open, and I hear this <gasps> this gasp of air. And Chewie, she's lovely, but she when she's stressed, she takes these horrible stress shits. <laughs> and I, it, it's just like a mass in the air. And Nikki had been woken up just from a dead sleep by this cat ass stench. And <laughs> she, she said, I thought I was going to fucking pass out. I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> and so then the other day I was, I was sitting on the couch or the other night it was quite late uh, I, I haven't been sleeping so I was, I was watching a movie I heard the bathroom door close and uh, I didn't think anything of it you know Nick obviously has got up to his bathroom and then I heard it open and, and I heard you know she went to bed and then a, a few minutes later I smelled what was obviously the cat having taken an enormous shit and it was just you know, fills up the whole place. You have to go like flush it immediately because otherwise <laughs> it, it's going to be a very bad night for everyone. But yes. <laughs> what I didn't realize, Nick told me in the morning, she said she'd gone to the bathroom. She hadn't bothered to turn the light on. And then as she sat there in the dark, she heard the scratching next to her. <laughs> and of course that's where the litter box is. And the cat was taking the Jamungo shit. <laughs> and she said, Brent, she said, I almost threw up. 
<laughs> I almost and and it was bad for me on the couch. I can't imagine. <laughs> can't imagine what it would have been like for her sitting there. I th- oh man, I laughed so hard. And again, I'm not, I don't know how she didn't divorce me, but oh man. And now I'm like, oh, half an hour digression about Ford fucking Fairlane. Let's do it. Hell yeah. Booty time. Booty time. <laughs> have you ever terrorized people with eyes? <laughs> That's right. No, well, come on down to Paul's Boutique of weird shit that I've done to strangers. Yeah, Miss- Mischief Night was crazy. It was mental as a kid. It was like ev- everybody under the age of 16 was just on the streets causing havoc for five hours. That's crazy. I mean, I've heard of Devil's Night in Detroit. I didn't realize, and I've heard of like Fireworks Night and shit. Mm. I-, I didn't realize you guys had this kind of thing. Yeah, but- well, it, like I say, it, Mischievous Night, it was like, who's going mischieving? Who's, up, who's, up, who's doing it? And people are just like... You'd have competitions to see who could get the most washing lines or who could, oh. who could get the most people out of their house. <laughs> wow. Strange things. Or, or you, you get people and, and make them, because we couldn't be asked to make Guy Fawkes, because in the old days you'd do Penny for a Guy, if you know what that is. No. So over here you'd build a, you'd build a little, like a, a Guy Fawkes effigy. Um, and you'd throw it on your bumfire. Don't do it that much these days. Um, but when I was a kid growing up, you'd always, like, you know, it, you'd get like some old clothes and fill it with newspaper and stuff and, <laughs> and burn it <laughs> on bumfire night, you know. So, <laughs> so you know, rather than do that, sometimes you'd just get the smallest kid in the gang and you'd just stick <laughs> stuffed newspapers out the ends of their trousers and shirts and stuff <laughs> and make them wear a mask and a crap hat. And just stand outside the shop going, pay for the guy. Because basically, you, you harass people to give you money to buy fireworks. <laughs> and uh, so you just end up getting people dressed, you know, get the smallest kid in the <laughs> in the gang to pretend to be a guy because you couldn't be asked to make one. That's amazing. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me to set the kid on fire. And I was like, well, I was prepared for that. That's what I was prepared for. No, that's just too much. Yeah, you don't want to have too much fun. Come on, we are English after all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was always places as well. You never used to bother where the old people live and things like that. You'd just do it. But there was all there was a, 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 a street that was essentially like a circle and there was hedges all the way on it. And we used to call that the Grand National and you'd go hedge hopping and try and do it. And one particular year, one house had just got so fed up with this happening, they put barbed wire in their hedge. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> And everybody set off doing it. And this kid went, he, he tripped and he fell into the hedge and he just went, ah, and he was like impaled on this barbed wire. It was like Predator. We had to pull him off. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If somebody didn't get a sprained ankle or a broken finger or something, and it was a pretty dull night, to be fair. Pink Floyd's final cut album is making a lot more sense. <laughs> Oh, well, we will skillfully edit these things and hopefully no one will ever truly know the horror of what we've just described. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.